Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Every year we share, uh, usually in the month of February, we share a video with you that just updates you on what happened this previous year. And so today I get to share that with you. Uh, 2016 was an incredible year in so many ways. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to share this with you today. So do me a favor and you can take a look at the screens and we're going to share our 2016 report with you. Hi, I'm Mel Massigal, and I am the lead pastor of the Summit Church in Indiana, PA. And if you're watching this, you are probably a part of the Summit Church. And the reason we're showing this to you today and, and filming this is because we want to give you an update of what our 2016 looked like. Uh, 2016 was a fantastic year in so many ways, and there are a lot of things we want to celebrate with you and share with you today. Uh, if numbers are the only thing we focus on or how many people attend on the weekend, uh, then we can get skewed pretty easily. But there are a lot of numbers to celebrate because it's indicators of life. And so I want to share some of those with you today. We're still at around a thousand on a normal weekend, uh, which is great. But one of the things I'm grateful for is that we didn't grow any more this year than we did because quite frankly, our growth outpaced our infrastructure. So we had to get some systems in place and begin to change the way we did some things so that we could prepare ourselves for future growth as well. But with that said, I'm excited about what the future holds because we've got some key staff members in place. We've added some structure to help us go to the next level and reach even more people than we ever have before. In 2016 on Easter weekend, we had over 1,700 people attend uh, worship that weekend and we had over 30 people make decisions for Christ uh, for the first time or rededicate their life that weekend. And I'm grateful for that because that is an on-ramp for people who normally never attend church to, to come and just see what church is all about. The other one I wanted to tell you about was Christmas. This last Christmas Eve was fantastic. We had over 1,800 people here uh, for Christmas Eve services, either on Christmas Eve Eve or Christmas Eve, and it was fantastic. I enjoyed that so much. We had hundreds of people who never attend church came to church that weekend that we had the opportunity to connect with. We've already seen growth from that, people that have started attending that never have before. So I just want to say thank you for that. Let's continue to invite, let's continue to get people here and introduce them to the life-changing message that Jesus shares. 2016 was an incredible year financially uh, at the Summit Church, especially considering where we're at geographically. Western Pennsylvania is not terribly wealthy. Uh, state of the economy locally, uh, just jobs, um, the property taxes, all the different things that came into play in the last couple of years. And in spite of that, we saw a record number in, in giving in 2016. And the number that was brought in this year was $1,486,352.42. And that's pretty incredible. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm in awe of that God has done is that we've basically seen a 20% increase every year since I've been here in our giving. So from 2014 to 2015, we saw about a 20% increase. And then we saw another 20% jump from 2015 to 2016. Um, I can't explain that other than to say God is at work. We have chosen as a church to live generously, and we see God blessing that. And that's why we challenge uh, the people of our church uh, regularly to live generously and see what God will do, because God truly does bless that. We brought in just under $1.5 and our outgo, our spending, was about $1.36 So as you can see, we have a nice gap, a nice margin that we brought into 2017. Um, and again, I'm grateful for that. I'm not going to go through all of our financial numbers with you today, but I do want to hit our biggest three expenditures that, that we have as a church. Uh, the first is our staff. 
Um, our staff is our most valuable asset we have. It's, it's, uh, our team is so important. They love what they do and we love our staff. So we invest heavily in our staff. This last year, we spent $570,000 on our staff. This includes their salaries and their benefits, which include things like their health insurance. Um, we've invested in them because they're heavily investing in our church. I'm grateful for our team. Uh, a healthy church budget, the, the staff expenditures will be between 30 and 40%. So we fall um, very well within that margin and I feel good about what we spend on our staff and how we invest in our team. Uh, another number I want to share with you is our building number. It was a little different this year because we started construction and so some of our loan things shifted a little bit, but this year we spent about $312,000 um, on our current facility and investing in our new facility. And that, those were out-of-pocket expenses. So. Uh, just to give you an idea, we spent about $200,000 out of pocket just for things like uh, permits and fees and architectural drawings and things like that uh, that we had to do before we could ever get started. Um, and so that does not include the, the indebtedness we took on for the, for the new building. And that doesn't include our contractors, um, snow removal, uh, landscaping, all the different things we do to maintain the facility. It was just mortgage payments and things getting ready for the new building. So uh, that cost actually goes up when you bring everything else in. But again, when you look at normal ratios, we fit very well within uh, what churches should be expected to do. And the last of the big three expenditures I wanna share with you is missions. This year we spent $285,665.21 on ministry to people outside of the Summit Church. And that represents about 19% of our budget or over 19% of our budget went out the door to minister to people in Indiana County and in the United States and around the world. And I'm so proud of that fact that we were able to do that. Um, in spite of the economy that we've talked about, in spite of what we saw in our community, all kinds of things going on, uh, God is still faithful and we're still seeing lives changed all over the world because of generosity of people just like you. So thank you for that. It really is exciting to see. So let me just put this in perspective for you. In 2014, we gave about $115,000 away to missions. In 2015, we gave $223,000 to missions. And so this year we saw another significant jump, um, about $62,000 jump in what we gave away this year. And again, uh, that is just a move of God, how God is doing some really incredible things. So when we give, that's important, but that's not all we do. We also do things actively in our community. And some of the things this last year that I was so excited about were things like uh, our Easter outreach, where we saw um, over 3,000 people, around 3,500 people at two of our locations come out and have a great time. And we were able to serve them and bless them and, uh, and reach them this last year. Uh, we were also able to, to host a prom called Starlet Night for people with special needs. And that was a, such a wonderful night just to be uh, the, the hands and feet of Jesus to people in our community that are often marginalized and forgotten about. I'm so grateful for our church that we've invested in those people. Uh, I'm grateful for uh, opportunities we've had to serve our local police force during things like homecoming where we could give them meals when they're serving all night shifts. Um, even, even during our building project, um, we have not just looked at it as an opportunity to get a building, but we've looked at it as an opportunity to serve the subcontractors and the builders as they're doing something for us. So we offer them a monthly meal, we give them prizes, we give them uh, cookies or chips and drinks. Every single day we go out there and we want to serve them and take care of them because they're serving us. And so I'm grateful that we have um, 
a heart for generosity, to generously love our community and generously love the people around us. As we've promoted small groups and really uh, helped people understand that small groups is a part of our church, it's not just something we do, but it's who we are. Um, over 30% of the people who attend on a weekend are actively involved in small groups at the summit. I love that. I'm grateful for that. Uh, but I want you to know we've got a big goal. We want 80% of the people that come to the church on a weekend to be involved, actively involved in a small group because that's where life happens. That's where care happens. That's where um, that's where you can really be known by the people around you. So uh, we're excited that over 300 people are involved in small groups, but we're not done yet. We want you to invite your friends. We want you to be involved because it's not about what we can get from you. It's about what we can do for you. Another number I'm excited about is in 2016, uh, we had 53 people make a decision to go on a missions trip. They raised the money, they took the time off from work, and they invested themselves to go somewhere around the world to serve someone that they may never see again. And I, I'm so excited for those people because they truly were changed because of their experience. They were able to help change someone else because of their experience. Um, but I want you to know, I, will, I would love for us to see about 50% of our church involved uh, going on a foreign mission trip because truly it will change you, it will change our church, it's going to change our community. And so I'm excited for the 53 that went in 2016, um, but we're not done yet. We want to see even more people go in 2017 and get involved in missions and get involved in serving. And that brings me to the last number. I'm really excited to share with you that this last year we had over 340 people make decisions for Christ in one of our weekend experiences or in youth or children. And this is significant because this is the number that everything else is all about. It doesn't matter how many people attend on a weekend if we don't see people change for the glory of God. It doesn't matter how many people come to an outreach if we don't see people change. And so this number is significant because what it tells us is we're seeing people change. And so I just want to thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you for sharing your life with people in your workplace and your community. Because of that, we're seeing lives change. You know, the vision statement of our church is every life made different. And I'm grateful that we saw lives made different in 2016. But I'm also grateful that God's not done yet. God's got even bigger things in store for us. He's got more in, in, in ahead for us. And I can't wait to see what that is. 2017 is going to be the greatest year in the history of our church. And I'm glad that I get to share it with you. I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. I hope you have a great day. God bless you. So one of the things I've shared with our staff uh, recently was we're, we're nearing the end and completion of our, of our uh, construction project for the youth and kids facility, and it would be easy to look at that and go, okay, this is, this is the end, now we can take a break. And, and really what I've told our staff is this is not the end, like now the work begins. Um, so we're not finishing something up, we're starting something now. Uh, and I would say the same thing, when you look at these numbers, um, you know, if you're a regular at the, at the summit, it's easy to look and not recognize some of the growth and some of the things that's happening. It's kind of like when we were kids and we would go see grandma and grandma would say, oh my gosh, you're growing like a rock. And grandma hadn't seen me in six months, right? So she had seen the growth. Uh, but I saw me every single day. I didn't feel like I was growing. Does that make sense? And so when you see it every day, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's growing like it is. And when we step back and we see these numbers and we see what God's doing, it really is amazing to see what God is doing here and what he is up to. Um, and so we just wanted to celebrate that with you today because God is up to something big here. And just like the building doesn't mean we're finished, um, you know, when we look at these numbers, it doesn't mean we're finished. It actually means now 
We've got even more to do. Um, God has a bigger vision for our community and for our region. Uh, he wants us to make a bigger difference than ever before. I, I've said this before. There's 47,000 people in Indiana County who have no church affiliation and no relationship with God. And it is our responsibility to make sure that number gets to zero some way or another. And so I want to do everything in our power until that number is zero. Until that number is zero, we're not done, and God's not done. And so we're going to do everything we can to push forward and see God work. Uh, one of our board members, um, in between the worship experiences today, he just we were talking, and he just got a little teary-eyed, and he said, you know what, uh, I remember, you know, he, he'd been on the board a long time, and he said, when I first got on the board, our annual budget was about $80,000 a year, and God has increased it by $1.4 million. That's pretty incredible. Uh, that doesn't happen because of a charismatic leader or a slick presentation or worship. It happens because God's at work. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing here. But we're not done and God's not done. Um, if you want to see some of these numbers in more detail, feel free to stop by the Information Center following the worship experience today. There is a printout there that has our um, basically a profit loss statement from uh, 2016. So you can see what our income was, what our expenditures were uh, in a little more detail. If you're curious about that, feel free. Um, if you've got questions, uh, Pastor Steve Rhodes is our executive pastor. He's available. Um, our administrative team is available. If you've got questions, feel free to contact them here at the church office. I'm available as well. If you've got questions, I'd be happy to help and answer any questions you've got. Um, one other thing I wanted to share with you real quickly uh, when I first came to the summit, we started streaming our services online. And when we first started, they were all standard deaf, so it was grainy, and uh, it was not great quality. And I probably was a little better looking on standard deaf than I am on high deaf. Um, but, uh, but we upgraded high deaf, and we've upgraded our capabilities and some of the things we're doing. And so um, when I came, though, there were some people that kind of questioned that and said, why would we do that? Like, that doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, and so I just want to share some numbers with you. Deb Orr is our media director, and she shared these with me. Um, in 2016, we had 44,910 views on our videos. Uh, so either watching live or watching after the fact, watching services and things like that that we post online. So 44,000, almost 45,000 views uh, from people watching that. We had 8,500 people uh, that watched our services live. So that averages about 163 people per weekend watching live that aren't even here. And when you look at all the different places, um, from the United States, there are, are uh, representation from Oklahoma, Texas, Kentucky, Florida, Michigan, California, and Arkansas that regularly watch from all over the United States. But beyond that, there are 47 different nations that logged on and watched our videos throughout this last year. So 47 different nations um, spent some time watching services. Uh, but we had regular representation from obviously the United States, but the United Kingdom, Taiwan, Germany, Canada, Mexico, Ethiopia, Colombia, and France all had people who regularly watched uh, the services at the Summit Church, which is pretty incredible. Um, when we think about the fact that this little church in Indiana, Pennsylvania is literally influencing the world 
That's incredible. And again, that's a move of God. That's not something we can just orchestrate. That's God doing something pretty special here. And I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm thankful that we get to be a part of it. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your willingness to invite your friends and invite people and bring them and get them here. Um, And just to share your life because it is changing our county. It's changing our city. It's changing our world. So thank you so much. Um, If you have questions, like I said, about any of that, see us afterwards. We'd love to talk to you. We are continuing a series today called Love Is. Um, This series started a couple weeks ago. Uh, Our executive pastor, Pastor Steve, started it for us. Uh, I continued it last week. Um, And so I'm not going to give you all the details and all the background on it, but if you missed it, go back and listen to some of that on our website. Uh, You can download the audio or watch the video, whatever you want to do. But basically what we're looking at, during the the month of February, it's easy to think about romantic love. It's easy to think about, um, you know, the the, the eros love that we talked about last week. But really what what God desires for us is that we would have an agape love. And that's what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, and that we're walking through together. That agape love is a love that we have even for people who might be enemies to us. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that's difficult. It's a love that's challenging at times. Um, and that's what God is calling us to, and that's what God is inviting us to, is to love people that way. Um, so we're going to walk through uh, this passage together, and then we're going to spend some time in one verse. But 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says this. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Verse 5 goes on to say, or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, And this is a filter for us. When we are wondering if we are loving people with a godly love, we can filter our decisions through this. Because what this passage tells us, it tells us what love is, and it tells us what love is not. It tells us what love does, and it tells us what love does not do. And so we can look at this passage, and we can ask ourselves, am I loving this way? Because if not, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not loving with the love of God. And so I want us to spend a few minutes on 1 Corinthians 13, 6. And this is what it says. It says, it's talking about love. It says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Now, when I read this and it says it does not rejoice with wrongdoing, I feel like that's kind of light. It might not be as impactful as I would like it to be. So I I read another version because I usually use the English Standard Version. And I read the NIV. And the NIV says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Now, most of us won't qualify ourselves as evil. um, Because what we'll say will justify what we do. So we might say, yeah, I killed the guy, but he deserved it, right? Like, Like, yes, yes, but my intentions were right. And so we'll justify what we do, and so we don't seem as bad. So most of us wouldn't say we're evil. Most of us say, well, I'm a good guy. I just have some problems from time to time. So this one might be a little harsh, maybe too much. And so I read another passage from the Amplified Version of the Bible, and it says this. It says, talking about love, it does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth. And then parenthetically it says, when right and truth prevail. So it, des- it describes truth as when right and truth prevail. It does not rejoice at injustice. See, we have a weird view of what justice is. And we talked last week a little bit, if you missed it, about um, that, that love, love doesn't hold a grudge. And, and most of us would say we don't hold grudges, but we do keep score. 
We know when someone has hurt us, you know, we kind of tally that in our mind and we know what that looks like. And so justice for a lot of us means that God evens the score, that God gives them theirs. And uh, there was a famous attorney around the turn of the 20th century. His name was Clarence Darrow. He was a famous litigator uh, and well-known, but he said this. He said, I've never killed a man, but I've read many obituaries with great pleasure. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you've seen someone not do so well that, that has done you wrong, and you thought, well, all right, there you go. And maybe you haven't read an obituary with great pleasure, but, but you know that feeling where you feel like, okay, they got theirs, right? Because, and the reason we can feel that way is we feel like they deserved it. They did something to us, and, and they got what they deserved. And so we have this idea of this is what justice is, but that's not really what justice is. In fact, heaven has a very different sense of justice than we do. Uh, in our last series in January, we talked about thriving in Babylon and, and pushing back against this culture. And one of the things we talked about is that, that God's desire is that heaven would invade earth, uh, that our culture would change because the, heaven, the culture of heaven takes over. And there's a, there's a passage uh, where Jesus is asked by his disciples, how do we pray? Teach us to pray is what he says, uh, what they say. And so he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and that phrase, thy kingdom come, a lot of times we default to end time events or the return of Christ. Uh, but when you look at it, and I think a better way to interpret that is not necessarily that the kingdom of Christ comes to uh, it comes like in the second coming, but that the kingdom of Christ advances. So that the kingdom of heaven advances on planet earth. And this is Jesus' desire. He asks his disciples to pray this way, that his kingdom would advance on planet earth. And so one of the ways we see this happening is by the culture of heaven invading our culture and changing things and shifting things. So people like us, because the church is not this building. I hope we understand that. This building is not the church. You and I are the church. You and I are the bride of Christ. Uh, that's why churches can meet in bars or in elementary schools or in movie theaters, because it doesn't make any difference, the facility. What makes the difference is the people, because we are the church. So when the church of Jesus Christ, when we as followers of Christ, we adopt the mindset of what justice really is according to heaven, and we begin to live that out, what we do is we usher in the kingdom of heaven, and we advance the, the, the culture of heaven on planet earth. We are seeing things change because we're implementing that. Now, some of us would look and go, hey, um, I don't feel like I live in, in an unjust kind of way. I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. But, but when we live our lives with a scale of getting even with others or that kind of thing, we may not be the one doing it, but we've invited injustice into our own heart. And this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8. It says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. That's a pretty strong statement. If we, if we sow injustice, if we plan it, what the harvest is in our life is calamity. We're going to have drama. It's going to be a mess whenever we invite injustice into our lives. So not only can we, do we need to stay away from injustice, uh, but we have to actively work against injustice. That's what God desires for us. So again, 
The church is not this building. It's not the place we gather together. You and I are the church. So when we as the church can rally together and push back against uh, injustice in our world, it ushers in, it invites in the kingdom of heaven. When we see discrimination of any kind, whether it's uh, because of race or gender or because of our socioeconomic Uh, issues, whatever it might be, when we push back against that as a church, as people, uh, it ushers in the kingdom of heaven. Whenever we see people who are marginalized because maybe they've got special needs or maybe they're lower income, whenever we push back against that and actively fight against that, we are welcoming and inviting in the kingdom of heaven into planet earth. And that's how we see culture changed. That's how we see our world changed. But we as the church You have to understand that it's not just about not rejoicing at injustice or evil or wrongdoing, but it's about us saying we won't stand idly by while we see these things happening. We won't stand idly by why millions of babies are aborted every year in our country. We're not going to stand idly by while there are hungry children in our county that every weekend that don't have enough food to eat. We're not going to stand idly by while we see discrimination, while we see people marginalized. We're not going to do it. So not only are we not going to be a part of it, but we're going to fight against that actively. See, it's our responsibility. God's asking us to do that because we have taken on the name of Christ. So we have to understand that not only does not love not rejoice at wrongdoing or injustice, love pushes back against it. It goes on to say in verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And and the Greek word that's used here for truth and that we see throughout the New Testament many times is the Greek word aletheia. And aletheia, um, it's a little difficult to kind of define, but basically what it means is um, a truth in our heart that is free from affection, pretense, falsehood, or deceit. Um, And when we understand that we are We are biased by nature, and bias isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it can be a good thing. I'm biased toward my children. That's a good thing, right? Um, I have a hard time looking at them objectively, and most parents are the same way. Um, And so I love them in spite of some of the things they do. Uh, I love my wife objectively, uh, unobjectively. Um, I do love her objectively, I guess. (laughs) I can't be objective about it. Um, because she has my heart. I love her, right? Um, And so we have these biases in life, and and so sometimes it shades the truth that we see. So we'll say things like, well, that might be true to you, but it's not really true to me. And so what we've done is we have made truth subjective, and there is an objective truth. We don't like that. Philosophers now don't like the fact that there is an objective truth, but there truly is, there really is an objective truth in this world. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what he was saying is, well, another definition for aletheia here is certain. And so what Jesus was saying is, um, there are so many things that are uncertain in this world and in this life. And, and we know this, don't we? There's so much uncertainty that you might think your job is certain, or you might think your family is certain, or your relationship is certain. You might feel like the financial market is certain. You might feel like uh, what you've got is certain, but none of that is certain. There's one thing that's certain in this world, and it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what he's saying is, um, I am an objective truth. If you can look at me without bias, you will see that I am truth. I am certain. That's what he's saying to us. That he is the one true thing in this world. 
There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, in verse 11 it says this. It's Paul talking to the church at Ephesus and he says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So this is what he's saying. He says, you might think you've got conflict in your marriage with your spouse. You don't. That's not where the conflict is. The conflict is in the spiritual realms. The cosmic realms is what it says. You're fighting a spiritual battle. Um, you might think you've got conflict with your boss. You don't have conflict with your boss. You've got a conflict in the spiritual, spiritual realms. So this is the thing. We would not think of sending soldiers overseas, special forces into a hot zone, and say, hey, uh, just throw on some T-shirt and a gym shorts and some tennis shoes, you'll be good. Right? What do we do? We go, hey, we're going to get you the best. Uh, we're going to get you the best helmet, the best body armor. We want dragon scales, right? We want to suit them up. We want them to have everything they need, so they when they walk into a hot zone, they're going to be protected. And this is what Paul is describing to the church at Ephesus. He says, "You're walking into a spiritual hot zone. You're walking into a fight, so you better be ready spiritually. You better get ready because a lot of us we walk into a spiritual fight and we're wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt. We're not ready." He said, get ready for what's about to happen. So he's saying there's a spiritual fight coming, so get ready spiritually for this. Verse 13 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, he starts with his description of the armor of God with the belt of truth. And this is so important because we go, well, yeah, you don't want your pants to fall, right? So you had to put your belt on. I get it, but the, the, the belt of truth is really important. When you look at another version uh, in the, the NASB, it says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And, and for some people, like, let's be grown-ups, but for some people, the word loins makes you a little uncomfortable. It's okay, okay? This is what girding your loins really was. We see this throughout Scripture. But anytime you see this phrase, gird up your loins, what it's saying is, get ready. Get ready, okay? Just keep that in mind. So what would happen is... Um, People in, in the Old Testament and the ancient Near East, they would uh, wear tunics. So men and women wear tunics, and they would have a belt around their tunic. Uh, and they lived their lives like this, just normal everyday life. But what would happen is, um, if it came time for hard work, it was hard. It was restrictive to, to walk around in this tunic. Um, it, was, it was hard to do difficult work like that. Uh, if a battle came up, they couldn't do that. So again, in the Old Testament, we see them say, gird up your loins for battle at times. And so what they would do, and this might make you uncomfortable, but just bear with me. So what they do is they would pull up their tunic and they would pull it forward. So they bring it all, gather it forward, and they would um, tuck it under their legs and bring it around the back. And then they would take, split what they had in half and bring it around them and tie it up. And they would tie it up and tuck it into their belt so that it would stay. And then what they had effectively done is given themselves shorts. That's what it really was. It was wrapped around them, and it allowed them to move. It allowed them to be more aggressive in their work and in their fighting if they needed to be. And so what they were doing when they would gird up their loins, they would tuck it into their belt, and they would be ready for action. They were ready to do whatever they needed to do. They were ready for hard work. They were ready for difficult circumstances. They were ready for a battle if they needed to. So what we see here, the Apostle Paul says, hey, um, the first step in getting ready for a spiritual battle is you, you have to gird up your loins. You have to put on the belt of truth. 
Because this is what we have to understand about truth. Um, Truth is a catalyst for action. In our lives, truth is a catalyst for action, or it should be. Um, So I shared a little bit of this story a while back. In the month of May uh, this last year, um, we were supposed to break ground on our facility, and uh, some things fell through with our financing, and we had some just some speed bumps, but it was challenging. There was a challenging two weeks for me, and um, and generally I'm I'm good. I'm pretty healthy emotionally. I'm fine, and but man, it was a bad couple of weeks for me. And in the middle of that, my wife, who's a godly, loving woman, she's a great partner. Uh, she came to me and said, "How are you doing?" And I said, "I'm good." And she said, I don't think you are. I said, I'm good. What are you talking about? I'm good. Because from my perspective, I was totally fine. I couldn't see that emotionally I was, I was kind of a mess. And, um, and she said, well, let, let me ask you some questions. So she started asking me some questions about some areas of my life that, that help feed me and help keep me moving forward. And, um, and the answers weren't what she needed to hear. And the last question she asked me, she said, well, how much do you weigh right now? What do you mean, honey, right? I was girding up my loins a little bit right then. I was ready for a fight. And her heart wasn't to say, you big fatty, right? That's the way I felt a little bit when she said that. But her heart was, um, when you're not healthy emotionally, you eat. That's, that's what I do. That's, that is how I self-medicate. Um, and so she said, are you healthy? Are you okay? She was checking on me. And so after that conversation, I went up to our bathroom and I got on the scale and I took a deep breath. I stood on that scale and when it finally stopped spinning, <laughs> it's 299.4. The 0.4 is important because if it was 0.5, it would have been 300. So <laughs> 0.4. And it didn't matter what I felt. It didn't matter what my opinion was. At that moment, I saw objective truth. I saw the number on the scale, and it said, you are unhealthy, right? And and I could have denied it if I wanted to. I could have said, the scale's probably broken. The scale has no idea what I've been through. And I could have justified doing whatever I wanted. I could have gone on eating craziness, right? I could have uh, done whatever I wanted, but at the end of the day, it was gonna cause me to have diabetes, heart issues, all kinds of things, if I continued on that path. But, but objective truth said, you gotta make a change. Um, truth said, you better be ready for some hard work. You better get ready, because there's some action that needs to take place. And see, we don't always like truth, because sometimes truth confronts us. Sometimes truth tells us things we don't wanna hear. But truth is really important. Truth is a catalyst for action in our lives. Truth should help us change our lives. So when God confronts us with truth in love and says, you are not where you need to be, you are off track, you're heading in the wrong direction, we can get angry with God, we can be frustrated with God, or we can say, you know what, God, you're right. And this truth is gonna be a catalyst for change in my life. This truth is gonna help me grow and develop and change into the person you want me to be. Uh, every year, twice a year, I do uh, reviews with my staff. And, and you know what, 
what I've never done in a review? I've never lied. I've never had a, a staff member that was underperforming that I said, buddy, you are so awesome. You're doing so good. Just keep up the good work. Do you know why? Because if they're not performing well, they're not going to start performing well if I lie to them. And, and my wife could have said, baby, you look fantastic. You are so healthy. You just keep eating meadows every single day, twice a day if you want to. <laughs> they open in two weeks, by the way. So she could have said that, right? And I would have felt great. That's right. I do look good. Look at me. Mm. But come on. Do I get better from that? No. I end up with heart disease. I end up with diabetes. I end up unhealthy. So, so truth and love should be a catalyst to help us get to where God wants us to be. It should be. That's what God's calling us to, is to be people of love, people who will push back against injustice and wrongdoing in our world. That, that we don't rejoice with it, but we don't even stand by as it's happening. We push back against it. And that we rejoice with the truth, even when the truth is difficult, even when the truth might be painful, even when the truth is hard. That just means we're gonna put on that belt of truth. We're gonna gird up our loins. We're gonna get ready for action. Because yes, there's gonna be some hard work that comes forth from this, but the rewards are worth it. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for what you're doing in our lives. God, I'm grateful for your truth that although it's difficult, although it's challenging, although it's painful at times, God, your truth is a catalyst for us. It can change us and help us move to a place of action to grow in our faith, to become who you want us to be. So God, I pray that, that the people sitting in this room, the people watching online, listening to this right now, we would accept truth in love, God, from you and from people in our lives that would cause us to change, cause us to be made different for your glory. God, let us not be stagnant in our walk with you. Let us not be complacent in our walk with you. But God, I pray that you would move us and change us as we see truth. So God, have your way among us today. Speak truth in love. Help us to see who you are. Help us to see who we are and let that make all the difference. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you today, if you're here and you say, Mel, you know what? I don't know that I'm really a Christian. I don't know that I'm serving God. If something happened and I died, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or not because I just am not walking with the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity to change that. Um, it says in the New Testament, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ was raised from the dead, that he's able to save us, that he, we are new, that we're changed. And that's really what it takes. That's the simple first step. So that's what I want to ask you to do. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm not really serving God, but I want to. I, I know the truth today. I see it, and I want to make a change. I need God's help. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And I'll acknowledge it and you can put your hand down. Thanks, here in the center section. Thanks over here on my left, two hands on my left. Awesome, another hand in the center section. Thank you, sir, you can put your hand down. Thanks, up in the balcony, a couple of hands up there. Thank you, another hand on my left up in the balcony. Praise God. Thank you, over here on my right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. You say, that's me, man. I'll pray for me. I see the truth. I know who I am, and I need God to change me. All right. Thank you. Back here on my left. Praise God. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, say this very simple prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, and thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. I confess you as Lord, and I need you. So wash me today. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Help me live a life that brings glory to you. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you are a new creation. Whether you uh, prayed that for the first time or you prayed a prayer of rededication in your life, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, you are new today. So I just want to encourage you. We want to help you take the next step to grow in your faith. And so if you're here today, um, I would love for you to do me a favor and fill this card out. On one side it says need prayer. On the other side it says salvation. On the side that says salvation, take just a moment to fill this out and drop it in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. Let us know about your decision so we can help you take the next step in your faith. We want to resource you. We want to get you in relationship with people that can help you because uh, we want you to grow. And so let us know so we can help you with that. If you're here in the room and you're a little uncomfortable with that for whatever reason, or maybe you're watching online and, and you've prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to take a moment and take your cell phone and you can text the word SALVATION to the number 555-888. Again, it's SALVATION to the number 555-888. We're going to respond to that and we're going to help you get resourced and help you get in relationships so that you can grow in your faith. Um, I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. God's got a future and a plan for you, and I can't wait to see what he does through your life. So thank you for making that decision today. Um, keep pursuing God. Don't hold back. This is what's going to happen now. Our worship team is going to lead us in one final song. We're going to worship God together and go after him. Uh, as we're worshiping together, our prayer team is going to be available on either side of this stage. So on either side, we're going to have prayer team members that are available to pray with you about whatever might be going on in your life. So as we're worshiping, you begin to step out from your seat and you find one of our prayer team members. Let us agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, when the song ends, we finish up, uh, Pastor Justin, our kids pastor, is going to come up and he'll close us out and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, so stand your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time before we go. Uh, but I want you guys to know I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great day.